If everyone would turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, the first seven verses. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Good morning. I'm not sure uh, what's going on with my voice this morning. I don't feel sick or anything like that, but I sound it. I don't know why. You should hear me sing. I went camping with my daughter, and I think that this past weekend I went camping with one of them. I think that's what did it. So no more camping for me. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Prior to adding our second morning service, we studied Peter's first letter, and then we ventured into studying the book of Nehemiah, and we wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago. So now we return to Peter's letter, this time to his second letter which is a letter that's addressed to false teachings and to false teachers or about them. Because of all this false teaching and of false teachers that existed at the time, there were these ungodly ways of life that people who identified themselves as Christ followers were actually not living a life that was consistent to the faith that they were professing. Peter goes on to explain in his letter that he was an eyewitness along with others, who could testify to the historicity of the claims of Jesus. And so he could himself, firsthand knowledge, confirm what happened at Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension, along with what Jesus directly taught him for those three years that he was with him. So when Peter wrote this letter in the early mid-60s, he was wearing bell-bottoms, protesting at Cal, you know, doing all that kind of stuff, different 60s. 60s in the time of Caesar Nero. So you can get a picture in your head that this was a time of heavy persecution. And what we'll look at this morning contains some really crucial verses that we're going to cover next time. These really crucial verses are found in verses 12 through 15. We'll do that next time. But I want to kind of on-ramp onto verses 1 through 11 by looking at verses 12 through 15 because I think they're really important. So let's start by looking at those verses. We won't expound on them at all, but we'll use that as a backdrop as to what we're looking at this morning. So verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. You're getting a sense here by looking at verses 12, 13, and 15. Remind, reminder, recall. See, Peter 
was extremely concerned that the followers of Jesus would forget. They would forget and that they would lose their stability. We close the Nehemiah study by looking at the end of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This was Peter's reminder to not lose stability. Now you look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It reads this. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so we must be very careful even towards one another. Please don't take what I say from this pulpit or from whoever is standing up here delivering a message or our elders or our home group leaders or our ministry leaders or anyone, what they say as gospel truth. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Check what is said from here with the Bible, myself included. Do not give me a pass just because I've been here for a while and, you know, oh, so 90% of the time he's accurate. Check it. Check everything, right? Because we are told there will be false teachers among us, which can mean inside the church. So we check everything. So check what is said. I get really skeptical when someone just kind of comes to me and says, you know, the Lord told me, that the Spirit told me. I completely agree that the Spirit speaks. I believe he speaks. He's spoken to me. I believe it. But the thing is, he doesn't contradict his word. So if it's not in there, he did not say that, you liar. Like, he didn't say that. Right? Now, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, who was Peter? Go back to 1 Peter and listen to that series because I kind of laid out the intro of who Peter was then. But the big thing that we know about Peter, failure. Failure, right? Like, this is Peter opposing Jesus when Jesus informs them, like, hey, I got to go to the cross and die for you guys. And he was like, no, not me. No, no, Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for you. Get behind me, Satan. Right? That's Peter. The guy that says, like, oh, I'll never ditch you, Jesus. I'm going to be there till the end. I'm going to fight these guys. I'm there for you. And then he's encountered by this junior high girl, and he can't say anything. Oh, no, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And it's just like a little junior high girl. So we know Peter's failures. We know this guy. But look at verse 1. Because look at the humility after Peter, I'll never ditch you, and I'll stand up for you, and all this kind of, no, don't die. Like, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling himself. This is who he is now, right? A servant. Jesus made Peter a leader of the church, and he did incredible things in Jesus' name, just awesome things, healing people, miracles, all this stuff that he was doing. But you look at how he addressed himself. I'm Peter, a servant. And it wasn't a list of credentials. He was like, I've healed, you know, that dude and that guy, and I've done this, and I've walked on water, and, you know, I've, I've done some pretty cool things. He just humbly lets his readers know, I'm a servant sent by Jesus. Because that's what an apostle is. An apostle is one who is sent, right? So, a servant serves a master, an apostle is someone who is sent by a sender. So Peter, Peter's master and his sender is Jesus. 
Back to verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear what he just said? Your faith is of equal standing to his. Peter. Peter. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking, like me, when I first initially read this, that our faith is on equal standing with Peter's faith. I mean, that means I'm awesome. I'm on equal standing with Peter. That's great. This is very good stuff, but this is not really the best part, because look a little deeper into that statement. The best part is how that happened. How does this happen? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus reconciled us to God. That's the greater thing, right? Now, why did he do that? Because you and I were anti-God. There's no need for reconciliation if there's no opposition or if there's no resistance. But we all have been, by our sin nature, opposed to God. And this anti-God nature has created this huge division between holy God and us. So how can we be reconciled? Well, there has to be a movement of reconciliation. So either God moves towards us or we move towards God. And here's God's plan for this. I, God, will become like unrighteous people, love them and reconcile them to me. And now how's that going to work? I, God, am going to send my son Jesus, God in the flesh, to these people. And Jesus will work out the reconciliation. All right, all right, that's great. How? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, and I ask that you read that and you study that on your own because it's in there, but I do want to take a minute just to look at several verses within 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 20. Verses 20 and 21. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Most people are spiritual people, especially in the Bay Area. I don't know if you guys have been talking to people in the Bay Area. I've met very few, like, actual atheists when I'm talking with people. Most people I talk to have some sort of spirituality about them. Like, they believe in something, whether that's an energy, a power, or whatever it may be. It's something. And so you ask them, well, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And all of them, well, not all of them, the majority of them, will say something along the lines of, yes, I do. And then you ask them why, and they'll say this. Because I'm a good person. That's what they usually say. I'm a good person. That is the precise proof of how far someone is from God. That statement is precise proof how far someone actually is from God, thinking that they're good when they're not. We all need to be reconciled to God, but none of us can do it on our own because none of us is righteous. We can only be reconciled if we become righteous because God is righteous, and he can't be unrighteous. So there's no way that that goes the other way around. The only way to God is to be righteous, and you and I can't do that. Only by Jesus. Now you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, now this time verse 14 and 15. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. How much of this world lives for themselves? Because much of the world isn't reconciled to God. So we live for ourselves. And this is the beautiful invitation of the gospel. To be reconciled to God. And still it's how. How does this happen? Verses 18 and 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Those who trust in Jesus to take those sins upon himself have received reconciliation with God. Do you have that faith this morning? Do you need that reconciliation with God? Here's the thing. If you don't understand that you need reconciliation with God, then you don't see a need for Jesus. There is no need. And if you don't see the need for that, then anything will work. Any religion works. Any morality works. It's only through Jesus, who was sinless, who died for you, who reconciled us to God. No longer are those sins counted against us, they're on Jesus for those who place their faith on him. Now something I'm concerned about is how people view their relationship with Jesus because some will just chalk it up to an emotional decision or a decision of feelings. But the thing is with that, that can be had with anything because every religion can provide that. Every religion can provide you that warm, fuzzy feeling, right? You can talk to anybody within those religions, and they can all teach you morality. They can all teach you wisdom. They can teach you life lessons. All religions do that. Here's something they don't do. They don't reconcile you to God. They can teach you all the other stuff that even Christianity teaches. Loving, forgiveness, all that kind of stuff but they can't reconcile you to God. They can't cleanse us of our unrighteousness because only Jesus does that. And only by God's plan have we obtained a faith of equal standing. Now, this is something that many justice-oriented people, I mean, I think something clicks for you when you're talking about equal standing, right? You're thinking gender, race, socioeconomics, age, ability, education, intelligence. You're thinking all these things we all have equal standing in Jesus. That's beautiful. Do you see the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus? It's, we're all equal. But it's the sin that separates us, and sin can't be tolerated. There is no equal standing for the sinful who don't recognize their need for reconciliation with God because then it's just about me, what things I want to stand for. And when that faith is exercised, then you will experience grace and peace. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. We can't have peace with God without the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your doing, it is a gift from God. Now you turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no peace without the grace of God. 
We are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. The grace and peace was provided for by Jesus. It's not anything that we did. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you remember, Peter was writing this letter to people who were persecuted. People who were hearing all sorts of false teachings. And he reminds them in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge And we are instructed on how to grow in the knowledge in verses 5 through 9, which we'll get to in a little later. But first, verses 3 through 4, keep in mind in the knowledge, that phrase. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 3, all things that pertain to life and godliness, all are based on our relationship with Jesus. Through the knowledge of him. It was God's divine plan to send Jesus. He called us to his own glory and excellence. Now do you recognize that God has granted to all of us all things that pertain to life and godliness? We have everything. We need to partake of the divine nature with him. And so between now And the day that we stand before holy God, it's all provided to us because of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a spiritual relationship with almighty God who gives us these things. Verse 1, equal standing. Verse 2, grace and peace. Verse 3, all things that pertain to life and righteousness. And you look at verse 4, precious and very great promises. That's what you get. It's not a religion. See, religions give us glimpses of those four things. But the results are lacking because it is only through the knowledge of Jesus that we are granted reconciliation with God and where the fullness of these things can happen. Where we are partakers of the divine nature. Where we can escape the corruption of this world because of our sinful desire. See, that can only be had with his divine power. And this goes back to those precious and very great promises God has granted us. Again, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about morality or wisdom or good life lessons. I'm talking about being partakers in God's nature. His divine nature. You're getting that. That we're living in equal standing of that. Living with grace and peace about receiving all things that pertain to life and godliness. Receiving his precious and very great promises. Not when you die. Right now. It's not when you die. It's right now through life everlasting. And you receive those things. A spiritual connection with God because Jesus made it possible for that. You don't have to wish for a different life right now. You need to occupy the life that you have because Jesus gave you everything you need. You're given everything you need. Right now, you can have equal standing. Right now, you can have grace and peace. 
Right now, you can have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right now, you can have his precious and very great promises. Right now, in Jesus. It's not a religion. It's this relationship with Christ. It's not merely morality. It's not merely wisdom or life lessons. It's communion with God, a dynamic relationship with God that you can have right now. I know that some of you might be going through some really difficult times right now. Pause and think about this. Recognizing you're a child of God and you have equal standing. As someone who's been following Jesus for their whole life, it's not like some merit-based thing where you're like, you have to play catch-up. You have equal standing. You can catch up now. It's done. That grace and peace is now. So pause and recognize that. And don't let those challenges and those difficulties derail you and distract you from the divine power and the divine nature that you're invited to partake in right now. Jesus has made God's power and nature available to us now. We all have something we struggle with. Every single one of us. Is there anyone that doesn't struggle with anything like anybody? That's awesome. Can I talk to you, please? And I'll find it. Yeah, you guys have met with me. You know I can do it, right? I point. Here's one of mine. Anyone struggle with being cynical, judgmental, critical? I mean, anyone out there? I'm not the one that's doing that. I'm pointing out. I'm pointing out yours. Actually, I can't believe more of you didn't raise your hands because, because some of you are way judgmental because I've heard from you. And you need to raise your hand and repent. But you know how you overcome those cynical, judgmental, critical ways about yourself, about me? We realize that we're all in equal standing, right? I'm not worse than you. I'm not better than you. We're equal. We're in equal standing. We recognize that. We realize that the grace and peace are those that we're judgmental towards. That grace and peace is theirs too. That that they can own that too. That we all have the same things that are given to us to pertain to all life and godliness so that we can chill out about that stuff. We have the answers. You don't have to worry about it. God's given that to you. He's given you everything. You just kind of have to wait. But it's there. And that we all have these really precious and very great promises And so some may be thinking, like, what precious and very great promises do I have? Like, I don't have any. I feel like I'm just cursed. I'm going to give you some. There's too many in the Bible to give you all of them, but I'm just going to give you some. How about this one? This one's so awesome. I love this one, and I think every Bay Area person loves this one. Rest. We are so hectic here. And I get it. I mean, it's one of the most expensive places in the world, and you got to hustle to make it here. I mean, otherwise you're not going to eat, right? So I get it. But aren't you glad we have Matthew 11, verse 28? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. How about the promise of provision? Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How about life? But not just regular life, an abundant life. John 10, 10. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How about the promise of his return? John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. How about his presence? Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. The power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How about Jesus' pursuit of us? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And there are so many more very great promises Precious promises. I'm going to end with this final one. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All of the promises of God you and I can thank Jesus for. All of them. Now, why did he grant us his precious and very great promises? It's in the latter part of verse 4. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's why. By accepting the promises of God, we become partakers of his divine nature. Reconciliation with God because of Jesus. But we don't just receive the adoption as his children. John chapter 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But that's not it. There's more. We also partake in his nature. We're not just his kids. We become like him. By the Holy Spirit, there is a regeneration in us. Plug name of our church. That corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires, Jesus takes it. We've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And until we come to peace with that relationship with God, we don't have everlasting peace anywhere else. So what does this look like? What's the progression of one's spiritual maturity? Now we get into verse 5. For this very reason, the reasons that are in verses 1 through 4, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith Have you guys ever paused at that before? So much of Christianity is grace, 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 grace. We never talk about works. But what is Peter writing here? Make every effort, every effort to supplement your faith. Do everything that you can. Work hard. See, faith is not opposed to your effort. What faith is opposed to is you thinking that you can earn it. But it's not opposed to effort. It embraces effort. Because spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It's the same thing in terms of intellectual growth or physical growth. You kind of have to work those things out. You have to put effort into those things. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And here's the thing. It starts with faith. You getting in better physical shape, 
It doesn't start by you taking a step. It takes you having the faith to take the step. Right? It starts with faith. It all starts with faith. Everything starts with faith. Faith here in Jesus, because if you don't have the faith, you're not going to step any further into, continue on verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. See, virtue doesn't just happen. You and I aren't just naturally virtuous people. You need to put effort into being good, doing good. Now, let's look at Barnabas, Acts chapter 11, verses 23 and 26. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is Saul, the persecuting guy. Then this is Barnabas. You see the effort of doing good? I'm going to help that guy who's been jailing people and beating people up. I'm going to go help that guy. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And at this time, Saul's kind of blind, right? He can't see. So at that time, Barnabas could have been like, and took off and like, wow, got him. But no, he's a good guy. And so he's there. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. You see the goodness? That goodness doesn't happen. That he was there. And then, and virtue with knowledge. Now, there are different types of knowledge. There are the philosophical, mystical, theoretical types of knowledge. But the knowledge spoken of here isn't that. The knowledge spoken of here is that of practicality, of relationship, of experience. It's that type of knowledge. The type of knowledge that we can have with Jesus. Our knowledge of God is not mysticism, philosophy, or theory. We can know God practically, experientially, and relationally. And our faith, virtue, and knowledge must be practically applied with our lives. So, how are you doing with your family? How are you doing with your spouse? How are you doing with your children? How are you doing with your friends, the community around you? How are you practicing your knowledge? And knowledge with self-control, verse 6. How does knowledge translate into mastery of your desires and your passions. That's what self-control is. Mastery of your desires and your passions. All of those sensual appetites that you guys have or that we have, those default emotions like anger, those biting words that you just can't keep in your mouth. Now, when we think of self-control, typically we think of the ability to keep things under control. That's what we typically think of, but this is deeper than that. This is developing that spiritual base so that you master those desires and passions, and it's not just about behaving good once in a while. Right? And self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness is patience, endurance, to continue towards God despite what's in front of you. And steadfastness with godliness. So this reverence, this respect for God regardless of what your circumstances are or where we find ourselves. It's not a godliness for show. That's what hypocrites are, right? That's what a lot of Christians are known for. Just this hypocritical life that you live godly in public, but then you live like hell in private. So we have the Dugers, which let's pray for.
and godliness with brotherly affection. So that's the fraternal affection, right? The brotherly love, kindness, and brotherly love or brotherly affection with love. And that love is talking about a benevolent love, a charitable love. And so it starts by faith, it ends with love, and this is the progression of the qualities for those who follow Jesus, those who partake in the divine power and the divine nature. Following Jesus is exactly that, following him. Just because someone says they pray or that they go to church or they get baptized, that they serve in church, that they give to the church does not mean that they're following Jesus. Are you making every effort to supplement your faith with the qualities that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7? Every effort. And here's the reason why we need to do this. It's in verse 8. For if these qualities, verses 5 through 7, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have any of you found your knowledge of Jesus to be ineffective and unfruitful? Anybody? Have you found yourself to be in this place? You know, you've known Jesus for a while, but it just hasn't translated into being effective or fruitful. And here's the question that you need to ask yourself. Have you truly made every effort to supplement your faith as said in verses 5 through 7. And if it's not, that's why. That's why it's ineffective. That's why it's unfruitful. You haven't made every effort to carry that through. Now, verses 9 through 10. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Fall. See, our relationship with God can't be earned. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn anything with God. But our faith, our relationship with God, is not opposed to effort. Make every effort to supplement our faith with the qualities mentioned here in verses 5 through 7. Now, imagine, imagine the change in our respective communities if we put all of our effort into this. Because, let's be honest, not all of us have put all of our effort in. A lot of us are really casual with our faith. Right? Let's just be completely honest. We're pretty casual with our faith. But let's say that all of us did, that we put every effort into our faith. Some awesome stuff is going to happen. We have some awesome stuff happening already. I don't think we've even touched like the beginning of like all of our effort, putting everything into it. And we have some great stuff happening here. But imagine if everyone made every effort to supplement our faith. Amazing love would pour out of us, and Oakland would be transformed completely. You guys are doing great stuff now. Refugee community, homeless, the under-resourced youth. You guys are doing some incredible things right now with the amount of effort you're putting in. Imagine putting in every effort, all of us, together. Now, for those who have been nearsighted, 
you need to remember that Jesus cleansed you from your former sins. And if you continue down that path, you will fall. And you will risk fooling yourself into believing that you have a relationship with Jesus that you really don't have. The qualities mentioned before are evidences of a relationship with God. And the absence of those are evidences that your relationship with God is lacking. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter gives us a lot of hope, doesn't he? I mean, he ends up pretty well, and he makes a lot of mistakes along the way. He understood receiving reconciliation with God, a life of God's grace, a life of making every effort to supplement our faith, to work on spiritual health, because it doesn't just happen by itself. And like him, we're on equal standing, and we can have a richly provided entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter's reminder. In verses 12 through 15, we see that he wanted to serve this as a reminder to remind, to recall. And so, Lord, may we put forth every effort to increase our faith, to recognize the reconciliation that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.